Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, and welcome back to the Prospect Interview, where we meet some of the brightest minds of today and talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts, and society. I'm Rebecca Liu, Digital Assistant at Prospect. This week, we talked to film director Sarah Gavron and writer Teresa Okoko about their new film, Rocks, which comes out in the UK this Friday. Rocks follows the story of a teenage girl named Shola, nicknamed Rocks, living in East London, and the lasting friendships she develops at school. Rox lives with her mum and little brother in a hackney estate and comes home one day to find her mum gone. She's then left to figure out what to do next. Rox first premiered around film festivals across the globe last year and it received high critical praise and excited audiences all over. I talked to Sarah and Teresa about the long collaborative process behind the film, what it was like working with a production team that was 75% female, and why it's so important to tell the story of teenage girls on their own terms. Thank you, Sarah and Teresa, for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Um, so let's start with the story of, of Rocks. Teresa, how did you get the idea for it? Um, so I had been speaking to um, um, Eva Yates and Celine Coulson at Film 4 about and they'd seen my play Girls and we wanted to talk about female friendship and relationships and in that and came up the fact that I had five sisters which probably um, inspires my affinity towards stories about women and their relationships with one another um, and I kind of was talking about my sisters and particularly one of my sisters Tracy who um, I feel like I owe so much of my childhood to so I kind of wanted to um, write her a thank you film and um, so that's sort of where the inspiration for Rocks came from, wanting to basically acknowledge and thank um, so many black and brown girls like Tracy who are so strong and so protective um, and sometimes appear hardened. But um, beneath that is this like well of joy and kindness and goodness um, that they preserve for those who don't necessarily ha have the capacity to be as strong as them or who they just want to protect and and allow them to not have to be as strong as them. Mm. It's also kind of a love letter to East London and Hackney too. Does that come out of your own life or was that a fictional gloss? Um, Hackney born and raised. <laughs> Very proud. Yeah. And then Sarah, how did you come on as a director? So, um, well, the team wanted to make a film about young people and um, and so we formed this creative team. Um, Teresa's story, which she'd been developing before, she then brought to the team. And so and we all responded and 
Um, and then it kind of evolved into the film it is because we went about it in a little bit of an untypical way in that we set out to find the young um, girls who were going to play the parts before um, Teresa presented them with the, the narrative and before her and Claire wrote it into a fully formed screenplay. So um, Lucy Pardy, who was work a casting director who's done American Honey and Fishtank and often worked with well, people who haven't acted before, um, first-time actors, um, went out into schools and she worked with an associate called Jessica Straker and they found lots of kind of amazing young women who wanted to come on our journey. And then we did workshops, which Teresa and Claire and me and an associate director, Anu, Henrique, were in. And we all got to know these young people. Um, and, and then Teresa presented this script and it all sort of evolved. So it was so much of an evolution of, of building the film with the, with the team and the young people. Yeah, I really wanted to ask about that because when watching it, so much of the dialogue, you know, it's a story about teenage girls so much of the dialogue felt very natural. It didn't feel like older people writing about writing in the way that they think teenagers should or do speak. Um, so how was that kind of creative process of really getting into their lives? And yeah, I think we spent so much time with the girls um, anyway before we actually started scripting. So we had their voices and then like, you know, I'd like to say that we carried their magic with us. We were infected by it and very fortunately so. So I think it felt really easy to express that on paper. Also, um, my background is um, youth work as well. So while I was working on rocks, I had been um, working in youth and community Islington for like for years. And I, I always, I question when I see people not write the voices of their characters effectively, because I don't think it's that hard. I feel like if you love your characters enough, you should, you know them well. And, um, and also I think that speaks a lot to like authorship and ownership and actually how we tell stories and who we allow to tell their own stories. And I think the, the joy of the collaboration of uh, Rocks is that we, I hope, gave voice to all of those young women you see on screen, their communities and their families. And that's why I think it is like, I hate the word, but you know, it's used often it is authentic because there were, they, those were really what the voices that the voices you see on screen and you hear are the voices who really poured into the film. Um, and then I wanted to also ask about how you portrayed the way technology and social media shapes the lives of these young women. I think I was really struck by it because it was the first time I'd watched something where it felt very natural and it didn't really, you know, feel like, oh, this high tech thing or this really soul destroying thing. It was very much embedded in the film in a very natural way. Yeah, the phones are an extension of their arms these days, and they're, they're like <laughs> me, <laughs> not my children. But um, so you know, in the workshops, they were always filming each other and um, referencing things on social media, and so it was very kind of organic. And then when we were on the shoot, you know, we were all there on set, and they were filming bits, um, and so it felt like a sort of natural part of the storytelling. And then we kind of dumped some of their footage um, from their iPhones on the editor Maya Maffioli, um, mm -hmm. so she. She kind of wove that in and then we all fed back and so it kind of grew organically out of just the way they are and that you know it was very natural. Yeah so how much had they bonded before the filming actually began because the friendship also just felt so real throughout the film. Yeah they were pretty close and um, like I said we'd at the point we started filming had it been a year and a half? Mm -hmm. Yeah it had been like around a year wow. and a half and it was you know um, 
particularly I, I think the friendships you see on the screen the reason why these apart from the fact that they are like sublimely talented but one of the reasons why these were the girls out of the 1500 girls that Lucy Pardee and Jessica Straker saw the reason why these the, the girls ended up on screen was because their friendships and their bonds and their dynamic was so undeniable you couldn't sort of have one without the other you couldn't separate them they made each other electric and I think um Claire Wilson always says you know they pretty much chose themselves and I think a lot of that was because of the bond that they had created that was such a joy to watch and be a part of we kind of just wanted them around as much as possible mm -hmm. and then kind of moving uh from on screen to off screen so we're speaking the morning after um David Olusoga made a statement about the diversity problem in Britain's television industry um and Steve McQueen sort of said similar things this summer about film um, and the point both of them make is that it's not enough to look at who's on camera. You, have to, you also have to look at the production team behind it. Um, so tell me a bit about the production team behind Rocks and how you secured that 75% um, female statistic and how that influenced how things were done on set. Well, we really wanted it to feel coherent and that the, yeah, the people behind the camera to be close to the stories and the girls and there'd be a sense of sort of trust and that they felt they could contribute as well. And so it made sense to find a, a crew who were mostly female, mostly young from different backgrounds that mirrored the girls in some cases. Um, and that, that really contributed to the whole process on a number of levels. I mean, you've talked about mentoring, haven't you, Teresa? How we were all kind of learning from one another and, and, and able to look behind the camera. We wanted the girls to be able to look behind the camera and think, oh, one day I could maybe be a, a grip or I could be a, um, a, a ca camera person or I could be a producer or I could be a writer. You know, there were all those role models on the sort of, when I was growing up, you know, there just weren't. And I didn't know that you could be a director as a woman. I just had no idea. You have to sort of see it to be it. It was only in my 20s when I saw films directed by women. It was like an epiphany, you know, you could do it. So we wanted to, it, it worked for the film. It would benefited us all and we all wanted to learn from one another. Yeah, and Bookie and Backray, the um, lead also talks about how it made it, it made the experience easy and safe for her. Like it wasn't this, strange well because we had obviously all been together for such a long period of time all of these women all of these people from all of these different backgrounds often in Hackney and Islington in places that were their homes or looked like their homes and their communities and then to transfer that like special magical precious thing to a set that then was formal or surrounded with people who were so distant from them or who didn't necessarily understand their cultures their language their humor their stories and um, would have probably been a bit jarring and probably made the whole process hard to translate because what we really wanted to do was was take the joy and the and the um the beauty of what we had in those rooms and make sure that the audiences could feel that and i think had there been such a disconnect between what we was doing in development and rehearsal to what was then and um, being done in production i think it would have been really jarring not just for the girls as first-time actors and young people but also for the creatives for you know for myself and for sarah who really were and for claire who and Annie who were really trying to be protective of this thing that we had created so you know and i think that's why you get such performances of like where you where you look in the eyes of the girls on screen you're like that was that that must have been such a pure moment of joy because that is so hard to to fake or to or to or to um to create so it really was you know they talk about how sometimes they forgot the camera was rolling or how they would say something funny and everybody would laugh and so they wouldn't feel like they were separated or that they were like a spectacle and i think you know 
we underestimate how important the value of that is, particularly when working with young people, how important it is for it to be safe and also for it to um, feel like, yes, you belong here, you are, you, this is your space and you should own this space and you're not an intruder or an outsider coming into something new. Um, and then how's the reception been? Because it kind of premiered last year um, to really a lot of praise. Um, then you've had to see through COVID. Mm. That's been a bit of a struggle, but do you feel like things have picked up again? I mean, we were lucky that we, we got the experience of going to a couple of festivals um, and the girls came with us. So we all went to Toronto, which was, you know, our first outing for the film officially. Although we showed it to the families, which was a terrifying experience because we wanted them all to, and the girls, we wanted them all yeah. to love it. But, um, Did they but like they, it? And they loved it. Oh, that's, that's good. <laughs> that meant a lot, didn't it? <laughs> But yeah, Teresa said she'd block them all if they didn't. <laughs> but they did all love it. And that, that in a way meant the most to us. But then um, in Toronto, we got people from different communities and you know, there's a Somali community there and some of them came and, and that was really exciting. And you know, you said lots of old, old grey women liked it, didn't they? Yeah, that was surprising, but not, well, also not surprising for me, to be honest. Um, so it's me, yeah, the reception was good then and, and I think I've been surprised and Anu and Claire are the, probably the biggest advocates of this film. They believe it's the best film ever made so they haven't been so surprised but I've been surprised that like people's momentum for it hasn't dulled. I thought mm. people would be over it by now but um, I go onto Twitter and it's, you know, people who saw it last year you know, are messaging me saying, oh, I've watched the trailer again and I've cried again and <sighs> and I'm excited again and I can't wait to see it again and this time to take more people and, and you know, and, I, and I'm a strong believer in everything happening for a reason and I do, like, you know, I do believe that hopefully it coming out later than we plan will be of a benefit to so many people. I think, you know, we've, we've mentioned it before between us that after such a difficult year for so many people that has disproportionately affected black and brown people whether it be covid or um you know or racism and injustice it feels like hopefully what we can give now is a sort of a gift of being seen of being valued of being applauded and being lifted up so we hope that the timing of this though it's been delayed we hope that actually it, it is it's perfect time mm. And have you heard of any reactions from teenage girls who are just like, oh my God, this is my life? Yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that. If I'm, my friends showed, sent me the screenshots from UK Gossip TV, which is like, um, which is like probably young skewing, um, I don't know, what do you call, what do you call it? Like an, like an Insta blog page. They have like a few hundred thousand followers and she just sent me so many screenshots of so many girls saying, why am I crying? Oh my gosh, tagging each other, saying we have to make this happen. And that just like really warmed my heart because I'm usually in those, like in on those blogs, like sort of looking for gossip and like, you know, sometimes like some of the comments can be quite um, controversial. So I was like, when I heard that it was on UK Gossip, I was like, yeah. I'm nervous but the response has been like well it seems I'm, I'm taking a break from social media at the moment but it seems from the feedback I'm, I'm getting that this response has been unanimously warm and excited so yeah that's that's nice. Um, I, I showed the trailer just before lockdown at my um, daughter's local school and it was so sweet because it was a it was an assembly and then they were all meant to go off for classes and they they all queued up to ask about how they could make a film like it. <laughs> And in a way, and they were, you know, lots of black and brown girls and identifying mm -hmm. with it. And in a way, 
one of our hopes for it is that it that lots of those young girls who see it think they could tell their stories now and you know i think we'd have a much richer industry for it if all those stories were told we want to see many more of them mm. something that i found really interesting about the credits is you usually do have quite a hierarchical organization whereas yours like all the names were together the cast was listed alphabetically like it did seem to point to a different way of making a film yeah, I mean, right from the outset, it was a collaboration. It was a collective endeavour. Everybody, you know, had a voice. So many people contributed. So it would have been disingenuous not to reflect that um, in the way it's promoted, in the way it's talked about, in that, you know, um, it really it really benefited from that and grew out of that collective. Mm, yeah, and and finally, uh, not, not to put a damper, too much of a dampener on everything, but with COVID-19, I think, the crisis of the arts um, is really at the forefront of everyone's imaginations. Uh, how, how does that affect how you feel about the future of British film? And what can the ordinary listener do to really support uh, more of these stories coming through? I mean, I, I'm at the moment being optimistic. You know, it's a very hard time and we've got to recognise that and we've got to sort of grapple with it and do all the work we can do to support one another and support people coming through and particularly the next generation and people who... Um, you know, I passionately believe that people who haven't had access to the um, arts need need access to the arts. Everybody needs to work hard to ensure that's the case and do their bit. Um, but I also, you know, it's, it's going to be difficult, but you also hope that in a way it's a time to reset and say, um, let's look at what we've been doing. Let's change what we've been doing. Let's uh, reevaluate and make it better and, 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 and set off on a more positive footing um, going forward and, 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 and try and create access, um, preserve the best of what we've got, but also um, create new access and have new stories that reflect the rich world we live in. No, I just, I agree. I think um, from, you know, from conversations that I've had with, you know, commissioners and production production companies and producers and filmmakers across the board, I think it's given a lot of people time to reflect and maybe to realise some of the things that weren't working and maybe some of the, with the speed of everything um, happening, I think people have, have gotten into a pattern of, oh, let's just do this because this is just how we do things. Mm -hmm. But I think this time has caused people to realise, okay, well, if we can't do things how we did things and we still have to do things, then we have to maybe find different ways of doing things and not just in practical and logistical ways, but also in um, like moral and ethical and um, creative ways as well. So I think it sort of wiped out that excuse as this is just how we've done things. And I think it sort of disempowered those who lazily use that as an excuse to continue to do things the ways that exclude so many people from this industry. So now that that is not an excuse anymore because you can't do things those way because um, we just aren't able to. So we're looking for better explanations. And so I think if, if people can't find those explanations then they'll just start doing better things. Yeah. We hope. Well yeah, on a, on a final note, I was just going to say films like Rocks and then you've got um, The Brilliant I May Destroy You. They've, they've been doing so well. They've been receiving, received so well that it, it feels difficult to say people are interested in these stories when you've yeah. got these successful examples. Thank you. All we want, though, is for there to be many more, for people to mm -hmm. say, OK, this opens the way for, for lots and lots of stories. There are so many stories out there. So many. Right, Sarah and Teresa, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That's all from us. Thanks for joining us this week on the Prospect interview. 
Rocks is out in cinemas this Friday. If you enjoyed our podcast, please do leave us a rating and review. It really does help. Goodbye, stay safe, and see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.